When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah. He's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm looking at song! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 82 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined for the 40th time by Scott McLaughlin and Bridget Prue. This is our 40th episode together. We took over for 42. And uh, I don't know, has it added years to your lives? I think so. Yeah, I think. I yeah. Think so. Yeah. Even just today, it's like I feel I feel old, too old to be recording a podcast this late. <laughs> this is uh, this is going to be my my like relief now that we also have the, the Sunday skate show. So and now oh, yes, try, Scott, I got to try to balance these, you know, say save some takes, you know, one one for each, maybe like. Scott's Tough. thinking get, about leaving us because he's now he's famous. It's, it, it's um, a whole it's a whole new world. Like yeah. I don't know. Can I can I say the same things I said on Sunday? Should I see? <laughs> have 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 different takes? Switch I'm, it up? Yeah, I think so. I'm gonna call you out if you say the same thing that you did on Sunday. Because I produced it. So that's true. I, I, oh Scott, you missed, by the way, you missed like the crazy callers. Like you got out of there just in time. Oh, I, I heard one of them. Yeah. Spencer, no. you did you hear Spencer? Spencer from yeah. Beverly? Oh my God. Before he even woke up that morning, I knew he was calling and I knew it was exactly what it was gonna be about. Every single time it's about Tuca. And it, even in the off season, Brian, you remember this. He would just call in like completely off season, say he wanted to talk about like Cam Newton or Mac Jones or whatever, and be like, Actually, we're going to talk about Tuca as soon as he got on the air. So I was like, he, he's Scott avoided be, it. Yeah, he's going to be calling in like 2025, complaint like having some insane theory about how Tuca Rask ruined like the 2026 Bruins rebuild or something. Like it's well, he, he will never give it up. You should have seen Razor's face what when he started going off. <laughs> like he was just like, I cannot believe this guy. Like it, it, it I just. I'm sure we're going to hear from him again, and it's going to be about Tuca. But he loves Swayman, so we'll see how long that lasts. Speaking of, Jeremy Swayman gets the the win Monday, big five one win over the Avalanche, which I don't think anyone saw coming. Uh, you know, you maybe expected a good effort, but last game without Marshand, Monday afternoon, President's Day at the Garden, and Bruins just. Totally dominated. 45 shots on goal. You know, it looked like Avalanche late in the second were maybe going to make a make a game of it. They cut it to 2-1, and then Bruins immediately respond. Taylor Hall sets up David Posnock. Posnock's second of the game. And uh, 
yeah, Bruins basically put it away from there. Extended it's a 4-1 power play goal in the third, make it 5-1. And I think easily their best win of the year. You know, I know they had a really good one over Tampa in January, but I feel like all things considered, this was the the best win over the toughest opponent, the most complete game that they've played. Yeah, I heard Razor in the intermission saying like, okay, maybe the boys from Colorado went out last night and uh, just had a little too much fun. And they clearly were not ready to start the game. They were absolutely dominated in the first period. I think the the Bruins outshot them like 21 to 9. And And at one point it was 16 to 3. It, it, they didn't get much offense going at all. Um, the Bruins on their power play alone got six shots off um, on their one power play in the first period. And one team showed up on time. One team didn't. I expected, though, that the Bruins have had a lot of strong first periods. I expected that this was another situation where it's like, okay, really strong first period. And then we, we've all seen their numbers in the second two periods. You, they've given up way more goals than they've scored in the second two periods recently. So I was expecting there to be a, a big push from Colorado and it just, it just didn't come. Well, it, it probably would have if the, um, if the Bruins allow them to, right. I think like every team is going to go through, through points in the season where they, you know, they have a, you know, not their greatest game. Clearly that wasn't um, Colorado's greatest game as a team, but you know, a lot of that is because, like I said, the Bruins didn't allow them to get to their game on a day where they probably may have needed a little um, bounce to get going uh, for for the Avalanche. And um, the Bruins, for a lot of this year, have been giving teams reasons to stick around in games and come back into games, and they didn't allow that today. Make no mistake about it. Like if if Colorado, you know, when when they scored to make it two to one, um the Bruins easily could have folded like a cheap tent. Like they have much of this year when, when, when their tires get deflated a little bit, especially with the lead. And I love all the puns here right now. They're, they're rolling off the tongue. Um, but they, uh, some would say it's kind of like an avalanche, you know, but the, uh, <laughs> they, they, they could have allowed them to tie the game two too, but instead they go out and, you know, within minutes get that, that, that all important third goal. And, um, so that that was a sign of the Bruins playing um, more of a complete game um, and just playing on their toes from start to finish. And this is, you know, when they have when they have really bad games, the Bruins do. Um, you don't want to overreact and say that that's who they are. And so I'll, to be consistent, you don't want to overreact to this one game and say this is who they are too because um, it was a great game. But they need to habitually um, put forth that type of uh, effort, I would say, more often than not. And then uh, that's what you're looking for out of the Bruins as you get down the home stretch here. I was really surprised, though, that the Avalanche didn't come with a more physical uh, style of play today. Especially, I mean, even before the game, Cassidy was asked about, you know, the the whole McKinnon thing and and people going to go after Hall again and they expected it to be a very physical game and maybe involve Hall again, but that none of that happened. And, and they're a physical team for the most part, but they didn't really do too much of it. McDermott had that hit to Stanika at in the very end of the game. And 
but for the, like McAvoy laid a few really good hits. Clifton, uh, the Bruins were the more physical team, which I was surprised by. Yeah, and I think it really wasn't until late, like until the third period when the game's already out of hand that the Avalanche started throwing some hits. Like Eric Johnson had one on Curtis Lazar too, and that I know the, the Bruins didn't like. And then I think the Bruins got Johnson back once or twice, and the Avs didn't like that. And like you could tell Gabriel Landeskog in particular was kind of looking for something or looking for someone to go with, but it's like it's already 5-1 to one at that point. Like what? No one on the Bruins was going to – go with you like what would be the point of that I guess uh, to pose I guess to pose the question to both of you because Casty made such a strong statement this week about I don't know if I should quote it because I mean I guess we can swear but I had to bleep it out on the Sunday yeah speech. we can on the uh, podcast now that I had totally to, different rules yeah I, I can so, get all my swearing out here yeah exactly I didn't I did have to uh dump Spencer, he dropped an F-bomb, but at least Scott didn't get fired the first day. For It was a close call, though, because we were playing the Cassidy clip of him saying, we have too many nice guys on this team. I, I want them to be more like pricks, to be honest with you. And we almost didn't believe it, but we, we did it. Uh, and so, But to pose the question, do you think that the Bruins responded uh, to that with playing you know, the right style of hockey after he said that? Yeah, I think they've played they've played hard defense. Like they're yeah, I guess it depends on like what your definition is of being a prick in a hockey sense. Like I, well, I don't Carlos think, said cross checking people in the face, which obviously is you know, it yeah, is, which he, like, probably don't do that. He was joking about, but sometimes it's hard to tell when Brandon Carlos joking. He doesn't he doesn't have a very good joking face or voice. Um It's about the delivery. Yeah. He's but, no he's no Scott McLaughlin, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. I've definitely got that that down. Um uh but like it's it's never gonna be in the Bruins DNA to you know, to really be like a super rough team that's you know constantly like just crushing guys, throwing them around. But can they could they be harder to defend against than they were for a stretch there? Yeah, definitely. You know, can they be more physical in front of the net, move guys out, get position, you know, win more puck battles, be be stronger on the puck once it's on your stick, going up the boards for a breakout? Like, yeah, like all that stuff. So if that, you know, I I don't really view that stuff as like being a prick. I just view it as being harder to play against. And I think they've brought that in the two wins over Ottawa and Colorado. You know, Colorado, especially like off game or not, that's – in offense that can make things happen. And, you know, I thought there were, there were times that they had some good shifts and, and tried to challenge the Bruins defense. And I thought the Bruins defense was, was up to the challenge and, and played well. I think, uh, you know, McAvoy goes without saying, you just expect that from him every game. But, you know, I think Carlo has had two really strong games here, which is, you know, you, we mentioned it last week, but like you really need to see him, start to string together some of these games, you know, all right, he's got two, let's make it three, four, five, six, where he's not having, you know, those kind of soft turnovers, those lapses that he's had at times this year. Um, you know, that Clifton played pretty well Monday, which he originally wasn't even going to be in the lineup. Uh, Earl Vakaninen was going to be. And Cassie said after the game that, Mac and I told tra- trainers after warmups that he just didn't feel right. Didn't elaborate. Didn't have any information as to whether that was injury, illness, 
you know, related to the the head injury that he just came back from. Like, so we don't really know. I guess, you know, we'll probably get more information once they get out on the road here. Uh, but I thought Clifton came and played pretty well. You know, four board, I think was okay. I, you know, I don't know. I didn't, I, after being a healthy scratch, I didn't think he like came back with like the most amazing effort in the world, but I'm not going to complain about anyone on the Bruins defense after that game. Uh, my criticism of him was two stupid penalties. That was, that was it. Like, especially one towards the end of the game that was just completely unnecessary. I was like, okay, well, what are we doing here? If this is a close game, this is like you hurt your team at that point. Yeah, I think I think he just is who he is, um, which I definitely thought when they signed him, even though I you can go back in the archives, I didn't love the signing then. In fact, I I made jokes before they even signed him that he was going to be their big offseason signing, uh, and I was hoping that wasn't going to be the case, but it was. Um, I thought he was. I definitely thought he was tougher because when I did my research on him in the in the summertime, like the, some of the first clips on YouTube you see was like him, like you know, viciously cross checking this kid from Vancouver last year and fighting um, McEwen, whatever the hell his name is from Philadelphia, but he was on Vancouver at the time. Um, so I just thought I thought he was, you know, a tougher guy in front of the net. Some some rabbit cross checks, this that. He's not. He's he's definitely more of a gentle giant, kind of like Carlo is. Um, difference is, you know, Carlo is a better player than Forbert um, overall, and he has he's a better skater. I like Carlo's game today. I didn't catch the game against the Senators. Um, I couldn't I couldn't watch that game live. I did go back and see the some of the hits that McAvoy had and, and Clifton had. Uh, I like Carlo's game against Colorado. I really liked Mike Riley's game against Colorado. Um, I thought he handled the their their speed very well in the four check. I thought he was patient. I didn't think he rushed um, moving the puck when he didn't have to necessarily move it. Um, so so the D was good. I think to to Scott's point, um, you know, being a prick to play against, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be Scott Stevens out there. Um, but just getting getting in the way of guys in front of the net. You know, making it tough for them to get to those scoring areas. That's what it's all about. That's all you can really ask for. And I just think that too much this season, there's been too many teams that if they see the Boston Bruins on their schedule, they're they're not thinking to themselves, "Oh shit, we got to play Boston." There's gonna be a lot of bumps and bruises after that game. Um, they've been a little too easy to play against from a physicality standpoint. And I like going forward, second half of the season into the playoffs, they just need to play a lot closer to the style of play they did today, especially, you know, in one-on-one battles, whether it's in front of the net, on the boards, in the corners, wherever it be, um, offense or defense, and they just need to be tougher to play against. And I think that today was a great step in in them achieving, you know, starting to get back to that early January identity we we liked from them. By the way, since we're we're touching on the defense, uh, there's something I feel like I, I, I want to apologize to Bruce Cassidy for. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when he rolled out, he went back to the Grizzly Carlo pairing. And I think it was like, it was either morning skate or practice. And I kind of sarcastically tweeted out, uh, stop trying to make Grizzly Carlo a thing challenge. Uh, because Grizzly Carlo had been awful this year, just yeah. to be completely honest. Uh, they'd been outscored 10 to three at five on five. Well, in the last couple of weeks, you know, it's been a, Pretty darn good pairing for the Bruins. Grizzly Carlo. It's uh when they've been on the ice, Bruins have outscored opponents three nothing. 
They're up to like 58% share of shot attempts. Like you have to go back and delete all those tweets then. Yeah. They're, 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 they're looking better. And I think it's like, I think that's important. You know, I don't, I don't know if like I would have tried going back to it because Grizzly McAvoy is such a good thing. Like Grizzly can play on the third pairing as well. Um, but it really gives them options if Grizzly Carlo can be a good pairing because they have been in the past and you know, that like that can be your second pairing and then you figure out, you know, then you can put Riley with McAvoy like they have recently or try back and nine in there. It just, just gives you so much more, so many more options. If Grizzly and Carlo, you know, can figure out how to play together and be a good pairing, which I thought early in the season for, for a few months just wasn't happening for whatever reason. Like they just could not seem to figure out how to play, play with each other. Uh, and, and now they have, they've, they've looked a lot better recently. Well, you know, what's interesting too, is, uh, when we talked about Brandon Carlo earlier, um, a few weeks ago and, you know, for much of this season, we've talked about his play dropping off and how it's not where it's not where we've seen him in the past. And, which means two things. Number one, it speaks to the here and now, but it also speaks to you know what he is capable of doing because you don't really you don't really um, criticize somebody that you have low expectations for, right? So when Carlo's not playing to the the standard I've seen him play to in the past earlier in his career, it's because I know he can do it and he can, he does have that level he can get to. And so you bring up Matt Grizzlick, and when Carlo was for much of his career in Boston as a, as a, as a player, we've all grown to like. Who was his partner? It was Tory Krug. And, you know, if you're the Bruins, you would think that Grizzlick and Carlo would be a pretty smooth transition considering that Grizzlick likes to play similar to Tory Krug. I think where Tory Krug has a little bit more offense, Grizzlick has a little bit more defense. So the the lack of chemistry with between those two, I guess, was a little bit surprising c- considering that Carlo had great success with Tory Krug. Because for a lot of Carlo's career, your top pair was Char, McAvoy, Krug, Carlo. And that top four was always, that was a top four that, um, you know, we all thought could have got, I mean, it's a top four that almost won them a Stanley Cup. So clearly they were good enough to get them deep into the playoffs. Obviously Char is no longer here, but um, yeah, it's good to see them starting to get some continuity. Yeah, and and maybe could have won them a Stanley Cup had the whole defense actually being able to stay healthy. Like, you know, you have the, you have the char jaw situation. You have Grizzly getting knocked out of the lineup. Like they, yeah, they got, they got pretty banged up. Yeah. The, the Grizzly missing Grizzly turns out in hindsight, you can, you could see that that was a, a big uh, difference in what could have happened in game seven. If, if he had just been healthy for that whole series, um, but yeah, I think I'm. I mean, the defense there wasn't much to complain about really against the Avalanche on Monday. The problem is now they they head out on a road trip to the West Coast. All these games, us us old ladies here are gonna have to stay up till ten and ten thirty to watch these games. But at least we got tra- got some training during the Olympics. Oh my gosh, yeah, those were at one in the morning. <laughs> um, but that is over. <laughs> Exactly. And, I, and it, it wasn't as, as great as we all were playing. I, we did podcasts earlier in the year before we got 
the terrible news that they weren't sending NHL is we were Brian and I have been we're talking about the Olympics for like a whole year just in the studio just before the podcast like oh I cannot wait it this is going to be the best and it's been such a letdown once once those shitty uniforms got debuted I knew there was it was going to go downhill from there so oh well Brian did uh DM Nike and uh give him a piece of his mind about those by the way a little uh, allow me to do an old man rant on, on the Bruins schedule here on the west coast so saturday they're in san jose why why is this still a 10 o'clock game like people in san jose can't get out to like a 4 p.m local time game that that bothers me and then <laughs> monday against the kings in la 10 30 10 30 start not that's, even 10 o'clock that's, need a, that extra- that's la for you and then, and then Tuesday. So stupid LA traffic has to affect us and, and force force me to stay up an extra half hour later. Yeah, it's five games. It's five games in a row that are all after nine, like nine o'clock and, and later. Wait, so in a back, by the way, back to back with the Kings and Ducks Monday. So Tuesday they night. they got they got Seattle, they got the Kings, they got the Ducks, and then who's who's the other two? Vegas and Arizona. Sharks, oh, yeah, Vegas and then and, uh, Vegas. Oh, and, and then, then yeah. they're going to stop in Columbus on the way back too. Yeah, so they're away for a while now. Hmm. Scott's not going to get to eat his garden popcorn for a little bit here. No. But I guess, okay, so here's here's another question. I'm, the Bruins look so good against the Avalanche. They go on this road trip. There, there's no way that this is going to be something that they can do every night. Like, this this was the best they've looked all year, like Scott said, but it's it, we're going to be here again next week and, and going to be going, oh, well – they could they beat the Avs, you know, so by so much, but then they couldn't handle Seattle or something. But but here's look again. Let's not let's not lose sight of the fact that every single player in the National Hockey League is a professional, and every single team is full of the best players in the world. So you can go out there and play a good game well, and not, still not lose. Curtis, not Curtis McDermott, according to Jack Edwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. bum. He's not a professional and not a good hockey player. No, when he only plays seven minutes a night. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, he doesn't know what a puck is. Who, Jack or McDermott? Um, <laughs> so, my, I guess my point is, like, no, I mean, we don't have to expect that they're going to go out and beat every team 5-1 and, you know, play with the exact same intensity for 60 minutes that they played with against Colorado. But, you know, can a lot of that translate? Can a lot of that become habitual? So, like, what are some things you can take away from the Colorado game that isn't asking too much to do going forward? For example, like we talked about, just making like being being tougher to play against in your own zone and in the offensive zone. Can you get that cycle game going like like Coyle, Smith, and Trent Frederick did so well since they've been together as a line, honestly? Can the power play continue to just be shot-first mentality and simplify things? Can little things like that continue to transfer yes i think those are simple enough asks that they can do on a consistent basis i think it'll be interesting to see we should have a better idea tomorrow after practice uh well they're not practice they're, tra- they're traveling out to seattle a day or really two days early so they're traveling out to seattle on tuesday so i guess no practice then they're practicing there on wednesday it'll take us an extra day then to to get the answer to this maybe or get get a glimpse at what the what the lineup's going to look like now that marshawn's back because that Coyle Smith uh, Frederick line has been one of like one of their brightest spots again today. They they did so many things right. They they had the shift before that led to the Pasternak goal, and they just played so hard. And 
you don't like we don't really know what the solution is are on that probably just going to have to pull smith off the line and uh just see but we we well yeah i mean i don't know so i i wrote that last week and, and said it on here that the most obvious solution was they're gonna have to pull smith off no matter what but now that line's gone out and had three more strong games since then since we last recorded uh and I, I kind of feel like I want to just keep that together. And, and the the idea that you brought up about putting DeBrusque potentially on that top line, I've actually, like, that idea has actually grown on me over, well, was, over the past it, few days. Wasn't that your idea a few weeks ago, Bridget? Did, did you bring it up on the podcast? Yeah, so, but but Scott, like, he, he re, like, reminded us last week, like, oh, maybe this is an option. And then all of a sudden DeBrusque's doing some more things right. Uh, he's obviously someone with speed. He doesn't play along the walls the way that Smith does and retrieve pucks the way that Smith does. But I have no issue with trying it for a game and seeing if you could keep that, uh, what would now become the third line with Frederick Coyle and Smith together. I, it's, the idea has completely grown on me over the past few days. Uh, just try it. I, there's no harm in that. Just try it, even if it's only for a period or two. Yeah, especially because I think DeBrusque has – so a couple games ago he gets bumped down to – the the fourth line and in my head I'm thinking like because uh, he had been playing pretty poorly like he was in some tough stretch he had gone six games without a point goals in back to back games guys he had two goals in his last twenty games and I thought like oh boy like he's this is the kind of thing that's gonna get him off like this could even be like a last straw thing before trade you know like uh, like here here Cassidy goes again he's moving me down he doesn't believe in me I think he has responded really well since being put on the fourth line like he's played two strong games back as Bridget said back-to-back games with a goal and you know if he's playing like Cassidy said after the Ottawa game because he was out there in the in the final minute of regulation and it's like and he you know nearly set up Curtis Lazar for for a goal there and it's like if he's gonna play like that then I'm fine like giving him a shot on the top line what I didn't want was I didn't want to put him on the top line just because you needed someone there. And, you know, and now he's struggling and he's going to drag down Bergeron and Martian. But if he's playing like this and brings this kind of effort, then he's not dragging those guys down. So, you know, the, the big question is, are you, do you want at all to move him over to the right side? Cause he, he has struggled there when they've done in the past, he's never really looked totally comfortable on the right side, but I don't know if there's any situation where DeBrusque playing the right wing works out. I would think it would be with Bergeron and Martian. I have no issue, you know, seeing what that looks like. Uh, I just, I mean, let's be honest. You can't really break up Coyle, Smith, and Frederick because the 11-12-13 line is right up there with McKinnon, Ranton, and Landis Cog for top us in the league. So you can't mess with that. Um no, but all, all joking aside, I mean, they, those three do have something going right now, so until it's uh, no longer working, might as well go for it. The problem with, with, with even when Martian comes back is uh, if Frederick and Coyle and Smith are aligned, mainly Frederick on that third line, you just, like, what do you do with Nick Foligno? Because you're paying the guy to be there, are you going to pay him to be a healthy scratch? What's he getting paid? $5 million? 
Or I don't know. Uh, like four and change. Three and three and a half, uh, oh, I think. Okay, so maybe it's not maybe it's not that much then. But um you know, he's somebody three three point eight. Three point eight, okay. So three point eight he cause Felino doesn't really fit anywhere in this roster right now. He's he he doesn't he does not fit with that fourth line. Um you know, the biggest problem for Felino is he doesn't have the speed to keep up with any of their lines. You know, he he's very, very he's molasses out there. And um that's not a Bruins issue. That's a league-wide issue. I don't think you'd fit in speed-wise on many lines these days. And so, what do you do with them? Like, I, because they're not gonna health bomb them. So, like, where are they gonna put them? Like, my, here's my here's my here's my con- current concern. Question. Call what you will. Especially if they're unless they want to up DeBrusque's trade value and put them with Bergeron and Marchand. Or actually, see if he can be a long-term solution with them. Who knows? Um, what what, ha- what what would you guys do if they like put Felino with Bergeron and Marshan because Smith is on that third line? Like, what, could you? That's an idea that I actually really well, don't like. Well, because he, here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I I don't I don't like that line. I. I I don't like that line, but what I'm saying is they tried it on the power play. It, it you know they they want they go to it every once in a while, but it's not it, I it's not as effective and and it slows down you know it it slows down the line just like it would do to it would he would slow down every single one of the Bruins lines, but that's the line that you really cannot well, afford well, to have slowed down by that. Kind but of here, thing. but here's the thing though. Here's the thing though. So here's, there's a couple reasons why like if you're if this is more about me trying to figure out okay if I'm the Bruins. How can I try to optimize a guy, but who, who's who's already giving us nothing? So, if there's anybody that like could get him at least a couple of goals to feel good about himself, and considering the fact this is the most important part, let's be honest: the Bruins they're locked into their playoff spot. Okay, they're not going anywhere. They're gonna be in the playoffs. So, like a lot of these Eastern Conference teams, they're playing meaningless games at this point. Like the playoff teams are set for the most part. So you could put him with those two guys for a game or two, just to just to see because let's because because Nick Foligno, as much as he sucks and as much as I don't like him on this team, he's spent a lot of his career playing with high end players on whatever team he's been on, and he's produced. So it's possible that maybe Bergeron and Marchand can spark him, and then they can put him down afterwards after he's got some confidence. I don't know, guys, but if Craig Smith is on that third line, you're really looking at okay, your options are. Uh, DeBrusque, Oscar Steen, and my uh, Nick Foligno, and maybe Jack Sneka, but I don't see them doing Sneka. So I don't know what they're gonna do. It'd be interesting. But what I can say is they have leash because they have playoff positioning. Yeah, that's a that's a real luxury that you're we're gonna about to we're about to see like how they really try to use that. Um, and especially as soon as they get their guys at the deadline, whatever moves they make at the deadline, they have a longer leash to, to try to plug in guys there too. So it's pretty important that the Eastern Conference has given them the luxury of the bottom half just being so far behind that they don't have to worry about that. And I don't really particularly think this year, as in you know last season as well, that the seating to go into the playoffs really is all that big a deal because you're going to be playing a tough team no matter who you draw. Um, whether you're the wild, like first wild card, second wild card spot. Um, but they're going to, they're going to have the luxury of trying to move things around. So I guess I do agree with you, Brian, in the, in that where 
it doesn't hurt to try it for a game, but I personally just don't think it that combination would work. Um, nor, nor do go I ahead, try think, it, but I just, yeah. in my mind, it just doesn't mesh very well together. Full disclosure, yeah, I don't think I'm it not, would work I'm either. not trying that. Like, it's, yeah, you're right. You do have, you know, some leeway and, and some room to play with here, but I just think, it, it, like, if, if I'm keeping Smith there, if I'm keeping Pasternak with Hall, then DeBrusque is going to be first up for me to get a shot there. I just think he's playing better than Felino. He's bringing more to the table right now. Felino, I'm making him earn a spot. Like, put him on the fourth fourth line if you want. Have him battle with Anton Bleed to be the the left wing on that line next to No Second Lazar. And you know, I I don't know. Like, how much does Don Sweeney get involved to you know try to save the signing or whatever? But if I'm Bruce Cassidy. I'm not overly concerned about that. I'm overly concerned. What I'm concerned with is playing my my best 12 forward lineup. And, you know, to me, like, Felino versus, no, I mean, versus uh, Bleed would be, like, the battle for that 12th spot right now. So that's that's where I would start. Now, you know, if you move, say you move DeBrusque up to the top line, he struggles, he's not playing well on the right. And your second and third lines are still playing well. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I give it a shot. Then maybe I consider it. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't start there because I just, you know. And I felt this way when people are saying like, "Oh, move DeBrusque up just to boost his trade value." And it's like, well, I'm not moving him up if I don't think that that's like the best option to help me win games, and if I don't think that he deserves it. And I feel the same way about Felino. I don't think moving him up, I don't think it helps you win games. I don't think he deserves it. I think, you know, look, I'm not sure that two good games from DeBrusque means he does either, but I think he at least deserves it more than Felino. And if that ends up giving you the added bonus of DeBrusque taking off there and all of a sudden it boosts his trade value, and, you know, as we head into the month leading up to the deadline here, we're, we're exactly a month out as we're recording right now, uh, then, then that's an added bonus. I think they were also overlooking the fact that the Bruins are there. This is a good problem to have. They have multiple options right now that we can talk about because Smith has worked so well with Coyle and Frederick and also has worked well on the first line. So it's a, it's a good problem to have that you can, you, you can try, you know, try something, try to brusque, but know that if it doesn't work, you just throw Smith back up there and, and you have to try to solve something on the third line. But you can still trust the fact that that line is going to be good if you if you plug Smith back in. All all the better to you if you can figure out a way to get DeBrus going on that line. But they found, whereas in the beginning of the season, we're talking about, you know, we they can't seem to figure out how to get Hall going. They seem to have solved that problem. So that they're in a good situation right now where they have a really decent third line if they can keep it together. Um, and they have, you know, two of the best players in the league on the first line, second line's going, pasta's going, pasta's had another great game against the abs. Hall has had a very strong week. Coyle's had a strong week. So um, they've gotten more out of a lot of their players. And if they can get more out of DeBrusque, if they put them up there, then they, you know, just solving one of the issues that they have not been able to solve the whole season, which is how do we get Jake DeBrusque going? How do we increase his trade value? There, That's probably the main reason why you you do it. Uh, not to increase his trade value, but just to, to try to solve 
the debrusque problem as a whole um, and hope that it works out. Yeah, and just just to clarify, because I don't want you guys to think that I'm taking crazy pills. Um, I don't want <laughs> Nick Foligno no, no, playing you already with Bergeron and Marshan. Uh, in my opinion, in my opinion, I think he's like the 14th or 15th forward on this depth chart. Like I, I, I think that I, I would put Steen, Stanika, and Bleed, all three of those guys, in front of Felino. Felino, it's not just that Felino's not scoring. Look, I'm gonna be consistent here. It's the same thing I said about uh, Taylor Hall and David Pasternak last week or the week before. It's not always about the goals. It's about, um, you know, the other things that they're doing without the puck, being hard on plays, finishing checks, back checking, this and that. Um, which, by the way, Taylor Hall and David Pasternak were phenomenal in every single aspect of the game today. Um, and that's excluding the uh, the points that they put up. Okay. Yeah, and it, I think they were both plus three today. Yeah. And, and like, the, like and the the points will come, like. They'll the, they'll get their points regardless, but it's much it's much more satisfying watching them score today in a game that today where they earned everything that they got. So I say the same thing about somebody who doesn't score in Nick Foligno. Like just because you aren't scoring goals literally ever, um, why can't you? Ch- why why do you only have like a handful of assists this year? Like why are you only like why aren't you impacting the four check? Why are you impacting be- like you're just you're out there? I've I've done this skip before. He's he, he's got the uh, cloak of, of invisibility on from Harry Potter. He's he, he's out there. He he does nothing. And I, I'm sorry, but being a voice on the bench or in the locker room, that only goes so far early on until the guys start to look around and be like, hey, look, we respect what you've done in the league, but you haven't done shit this year. So let's not preach that to us until you do something. Um, and in, I agree with you, Brian. I think if they put him on the fourth line, then Bleed ha- like Bleed might win that job I don't even know. from yeah. him. But yeah. he's not been someone that Cassidy has healthy scratched really. So like he he comes out of the lineup when he has an injury, but he yeah. it, and Cassidy has healthy scratched Riley before. I thought he really deserved it this week. He healthy scratched Forbert. He he's done it to Clifton. He but he hasn't done it to Felino. He's done it to DeBrusque. Like. There are other forwards he's done it to this season, but he has not not decided to go that way with Felino. Maybe it's a like a reputation call or something like that. But at the, we're at the point where that should be on the table. And also, like as far as fig- trying to put this puzzle together that we like to call the forward lines, um, I'm very very. Uh, excited for skate podcast episodes like 84 and 85 because that's when we'll have a idea of like the insiders saying who the Bruins are rumored to be getting like legit um or the trade and the trade dime will, will will have come and gone so we'll be able to discuss like their actual roster and what the what their playoff personnel would be and because until then like you know, this could all fix itself with one acquisition, right? So, well, like, Brian, today you you texted us an idea of or a, a rumor about the Bruins maybe being interested in Justin Braun, who is oh, yeah. a defenseman that has been in. I mean, UMass guy, uh, yeah. who's you know he's at the back end of his career. He he was at UMass before I was even there yeah. by quite a bit. Yeah. So well, he's thirty five. Uh, he's thirty five years old, and he's a, and he's a depth defenseman. So I I sent that because I feel like a lot we we discuss. Um, like the back end uh, acquisitions, uh, Scott's always talked about how like he doesn't really want to trade for. Um, but Scott liked this idea more than you did. 
No, I don't, I don't dislike well, it. It's if, it's I'm with Scott. It depends on the cost. Because I, yeah, I would tell him if, if, if I'm overhead. getting Justin Braun cheap, then sure, like he could be an upgrade on third pairing right side. He could, you know, he could be better than Clifton. He could be better than, you know, potentially if you're moving Vec and Nine over to his offside, or maybe even bumps forward out. Like I would be totally fine with Justin Braun for a cheap deal. Like I'm talking mid to late round pick or you know, a mid to like lower tier prospect, but I, I, you know, I don't know exactly what his market's going to be. If it's going to be more than that, we're like, you hear teams like offering a second rounder. Like I'm not doing that. Cause I don't, I don't think he offers that much of an upgrade to your back end, but I do like Justin Braun as a player. And I think he's still pretty good defensively. So, you know, and he's, he's also like, he's not, I would say he's strong, but he's also not like overly physical. Like he doesn't, He's not out there really crushing guys, but I think I think he could help. Like he, he'll be a good if he gets moved, he'll be a good depth defenseman for some playoff team. I just wouldn't go crazy to get him. No, well, yeah. this is the, the according to what Brian sent us, there were other teams that were involved yeah. in in you know just inquiring into him, and the other two teams that it listed here were the Flames and the Predators. Yeah, and I feel like the flame the Flames are also in on. Uh, that same thing I sent. The Flames are also in on Giordano, Mark Giordano. So I don't know. It, it, it was just one of those Instagram accounts that like they, every every week it's changing what teams are in on who. I just find, I was more so sending that in jest as just to, like, just to get the conversation well, started. That's a player we haven't talked about well, um, and not yeah. one that's really been brought up before. Well, it was more like it was. I was more so like sending it as like this would be the most classic Don Don Sweeney like deadline splash is like just getting the the depth like and nobody else obviously discounting last year because that was obviously an anomaly not i shouldn't say anomaly he's only had a handful of deadlines but that was circumstances were in the bruins favor with taylor hall but i I was more so sending that like all this talk about like deadline acquisitions like top top four defensemen or like number two center and like it just becomes justin Braun. that's it um that's that's obviously just a joke i think like you know just to kind of keep that up like if if they prioritize forward which I still say I would because, you know, we're talking about like filling in this lineup and I still keep thinking, just thinking like as we're going through this, there's still one, at least top nine forward short, probably most likely a top six forward short. Like I just think, you know, the, the situation of like tried to brush there, try Felino there, switch someone over to their offside. Like you solve that if you actually get like someone who, legitimately belongs in one of those top six spots and is no question getting plugged in on your first or second line. Like that solves a lot of that. So I think if you make that kind of move for a forward where you're getting a real impact player and that's your priority before the deadline, like someone like Braun, again, if he's cheap makes sense as like, well, at least we're still doing something on defense. Like you're still addressing it. Even if you're not getting that, you know, top four guy who's in his prime. Yeah. Um. Oh, but by the way, I'm I'm on I'm on the train with you. Oh yeah, Brian. Brian had quite a quite a weekend. Of, of, <laughs> oh, you're talking about your Michael Scott meme of jumping back on the getting a center yes. uh, yeah. train. I'm back on the bandwagon. <laughs> I, I I don't know what came over me. I'm back. Um. Yeah, it was a dark. It was a dark. It was a dark week for me there. Um. But yeah, no, the Bruins need a number two center. That's their biggest need. Um, no, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm actually now, I'm also open 
if there's not like a great deal for a number two center to be had, I'm now also open to the idea of adding a scoring right wing because mm. we're having this conversation. Like you've seen, yeah, you know, I think Craig Smith on the third line was that was always kind of the ideal spot for him. Now he's good enough that he can play up in the lineup, and that's a credit to him. But you see, like that third line click and the you know what he can bring. And he hasn't even really started scoring yet. Like, just wait till some of his shots start going in, and then look at how good that third line's going to look. Uh, you know, like it, if there's not a deal for JT Miller or a hurdle or Giroux, and like, look, the the Avs have been heavily linked to Claude Giroux. Uh, apparently, the Sharks are set to make an extension offer to Hurdle at some point in the next week. Mm-hmm. That was uh, some of the reporting today. Like maybe they end up agreeing to an extension and now there's one of your top centers off the market. Um, there's been rumors that the Canucks are, uh, put, you know, potentially looking to hang on to Miller and extend him. Uh, there were rumors that like to make cap room for that, that they might be looking to trade Connor Garland instead, which would be the, you know, the second trade involving the situate native this year. Um, you know, if those, if those centers like start coming off the board, or there's just not a reasonable deal to make for them, uh, I absolutely do not hate the idea of adding a scoring wing. Maybe, you know, maybe the Bruins are in on Connor Garland. They were attached to him in the off season. I think you know he's. They've kind of been linked to him again. Like, I wouldn't hate that. That's you know, it doesn't do anything to help solve your long term center issues, but. If you had Connor Garland, it, it makes you a better team, that's for sure. There, look, guys, I'll tell you what their trade deadline is going to be right now. Justin Braun and Sam Gagne. <laughs> those, those are the deadline acquisitions, I'm telling you right now. Sam Gagne from Detroit, Justin Braun, go win a cup. I'm, I'm telling you. I don't think that, that's, that's was, the caliber we're looking at. I, don't I was think also thinking about guy. this over the weekend, and I'm not quite here yet, but like – it's it's been on my mind is the idea of like um not quite standing pat but just adding around the edges and you know i hope it's not just braun and gagne but if it is kind of more depth guys that is like the like least sexy if, scott it's very unsexy is that why you didn't mention it on sunday skate yes i did not i did not want that to be like one. Of you the don't first want razor and Kalman to just laugh and be um, like this is this is great radio but like you know, the, I mean, the Bruins are facing a really tough decision in terms of, like, do we go all in? Do, you know, like, is this team worth going all in for? And I still think it's worth making a significant addition. Like, I, I don't think – I still think you can get there. And it's going to take, you know, a lot of people stepping up and playing better. But if you're not totally sold on that idea and you're not – you don't love the idea of like selling off parts of your future um, to make, you know, that kind of big splash adding around the edges and just trying to set yourself up to be a little better. You know, I look at teams like the I know last year was weird, but the Canadians added depth at last year's trade deadline. And I remember at the time people were like, what is the point of that? Like the Canadians were way more than a couple depth moves away. And that's like all they went out and did. 
Well, I don't know. They end up getting hot and they make a run to the Stanley Cup final. The Islanders the last couple of years have mostly just added depth. Like Kyle Palmieri's been, you know, the biggest impact player they've added the last two trade deadlines. And he actually really struggled when he first got there. And yet they make two runs to the conference finals. Um, St. Louis, the year they won the cup, did nothing at the deadline. They did not make a single trade. Dallas, the year they went to the cup final, I think made like one or two depth moves. That that St. Louis team was also in a very weird situation where they were in like last place in For the conference sure. in January, so they weren't like they they weren't like oh yeah we're definitely going to be buyers. Uh, so they they had a very weird situation where that just turned around for them. Yeah. I'm just saying like, the, there's at least precedent of teams that you would think would have needed like a big splash to do anything of not doing it, of hanging on to assets and still being able to put together runs. Now I'm not counting on that. I don't think that's particularly likely, but I also, you know, if this team doesn't really start to turn it on and like give you a reason to think they can make a deep run, uh, like, I just, I guess I just wouldn't hate the idea of holding on to some of your top assets and riding it out and just kind of seeing where the year goes. Um, but then, you know, you see, you see them play a game like they played on Monday where they beat the best team in the NHL and you start to think like, Hey, that maybe they are worth more investment than that. I just think that like, I, I think the Bruins are one of those teams that if you add the significant pieces, they can be. I, I guess, I guess a simple way to put this is, I, I think the Bruins' current roster personnel is is good enough where you could add a significant piece to them, and I do think that I, I do think that um. I don't know. I just if you if you go out and make a Drew Stafford type move from like 2017, where it's like a sixth round pick for him, like okay, low risk. You know, obviously, um, a player like that. Like I actually just joked about it, but like honestly, like like a Sam Gagne type player. Like he'd come into the team and he like you know he he he'd be a decent little player for you, um, but. If the I can't goal- wait for next week for Scott to be like they need to make three moves otherwise they're not <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to do anything this year. I I guess I guess th- this is the question. It's just like what's your goal? Like if your goal is to win a Stanley Cup, then you need to give yourself the best roster you can while you're still a competitive team. Because I I promise you like like I don't think, and sometimes I'm guilty of this too, I really don't think we realize how much this team might struggle in a couple of years to be where they are even right now. Like, so I just think you need, and I know that that to go for it now, you're jeopardizing a little bit of tomorrow, but like, I don't know. I think uh, if if there's a deal to be had, I don't think that they should be, you know, selfish with, with, with some of their assets. If the deals not if the deals aren't presenting themselves and don't force it like don't don't trade your best assets for some for for a return that's not worth it you know that that's foolish um, but I, I just think like right now the Boston Bruins are in a position where they can win um, it doesn't look like it right this second because their roster is not complete and some of the other rosters are above them but that's why I'm saying you make that significant move 
Um, you look at the talent on this Bruins team. Like, we, we shit on them because we're, we're so close to them. Not many teams can boast a Brad Marchand and a Patrice Bergeron and a Taylor Hall and a Charlie McAvoy and a David Pashnak. Like, the Bruins have a lot of pieces there. A lot of The Bruins have a lot of stars. The Bruins have more stars on their team than some of the teams above them in the standings um, possess. They just have more complete roster elsewhere. So I'm just saying, like, when Bergeron's gone, when Marchand's longer in the tooth, like, I, I just, this team's not going to be in a, position, in a position to go for it. So, like, you might as well. I just, I don't know. I, um, you know, that's how, that's, how I would, that's how I would leave it for now, I guess. I want to bring up something that's along the same lines, but we haven't had a chance to talk about goaltending really at all. Um, so, I, I mean, you ha- obviously consider your, your goaltending when you're making these moves. And considering Swayman has played as well as he has the last two games, it's like, okay, is Swayman the guy you you are building this team in front of when you're when you're bringing guys in? Uh, because he has looked so good, especially against top team in the league. He looked he didn't face all that many shots because the defense in front of him was also uh, doing him a service there. But something that uh, Andrew Raycroft said um, right after Scott left on on Sunday was. In his, in he saves his, all his best points for after I left. Yeah, he saved them for till you left. Uh, because he knew you're going to disagree. Just kidding. Uh, so one of the things he said, he said two things that I wanted to bring up, and he said, coming up because it was the day before the game. You coming up on Monday, Jeremy Swimmon has a legitimate chance to steal the starting job, um, if he can put up a good performance against the Avalanche. Obviously, you see he great performance allowed one goal against the best team in the league and the other thing was if the playoffs start today who do you go with the net and he said Swayman so uh, Swayman is trending in a way that you you're probably looking to build a team in in front of him we've got a dog who had an opinion on that I think <laughs> yeah, he, sorry my he head was down I thought that was Swayman. Scott I was writing something um <laughs> Bridget, um, yeah, go ahead, I can't, by the way, we can't do a podcast without some sort of interruption from my pets because my cat, I think, meowed right into the microphone some point earlier, and my dog wanted to say something about Jeremy Swayman. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I may or may not be uh, writing a column on this. Uh, people have to find out on Tuesday, but yeah, absolutely. So Swayman is your number one goalie right now. He's he's started four of the last five games. With the three on one record and a 968 save percentage. Um, you know, I've written so like around the time that Rass was coming back, I wrote and noted in several articles that the underlying numbers for the Bruins goaltending, stuff like five and five save percentage, high danger save percentage, was in Swayman's case, middle of the pack, and in Allmark's case, towards the like the bottom of qualified goalies. Uh Allmark has only really marginally improved. Swayman has rocketed up the rankings and like some of those advanced stats. He's now top 10 in the NHL in both five on five save percentage and high danger save percentage. And he is just outside of like that Pittsburgh game. He has just been excellent since coming back up from Providence. And he was starting to play pretty well before then too. Um, yeah. I just, I think he's, he looks like the more talented goalie. I think he's, the key difference to me is he is better on those high danger in close chances where it's like 
you don't you don't expect a save because they are great chances, but you're gonna need some saves on those chances uh, to you know to win games. And I feel like Allmark and the numbers back it up. Like he just he makes the saves he should make and doesn't make like a very high percentage of of saves on those really in close chances. Which which puts and, him which differentiates the two where yep. you know in the playoffs you need a goalie to steal a game here and you you see one in Swayman that can steal a game and one in Allmark where it's more questionable like that would be less common or you know a lower percent chance that he would be able to do that for you in the playoffs and when when we're talking about making the regular saves you should make they they're both doing that so the this idea of Swayman being able to stop those high danger chances puts him in the position where you're riding him and you're expecting that he could be the guy you ride in the playoffs. Now they're still going to balance out a little bit. They're still going to use all Mark. Uh, but I majority of the playoffs, you probably go with Swayman if they were to start today based on the samples that we've seen from Swayman recently and throughout the season. And even if we think back a little bit to his first season with the Bruins uh, when he came in at the very end there. Yeah, and it's worth noting as well that Allmark had very good numbers in those advanced metrics last year, and that that was a big reason why the Bruins signed him, is they they saw those. Um, So I don't rule out him still getting to that point, but he really hasn't yet, and Swayman is. Swayman's there right now. Like He's starting to look again like the, the Swayman we saw last year where he was just like lights out almost every time he went in the net. Uh, so yeah, I'm totally fine with, you know, obviously he's not going to start every game. He's not going to start. You know, I mentioned that he started for the last five. I don't think he's going to start 80% of them, but if he's starting 60%, two thirds, the rest of the way, that's, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like, I, you know, yeah. All Mark would be a pretty expensive backup, but if your start is only, you know, making less than a million dollars, then, who cares? Like, uh, to me, if if Swayman's getting into a rhythm, then I'm going to let him keep going until he gives me a reason not, you know, not to start him regularly. Yeah, they're they're riding the hot hand right now. Cassidy decided we're, they're in the point of the season where you get the hot hand going. You you ride him even though you've been doing a lot more alternating uh, starts in net earlier in the season. Time to just ride the hot hand. Yeah, I think Swayman's. I think Swayman's going to be the guy come come April. Um, yeah, I think I think he has that ability to um to 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 steal a game, steal a series that I don't know uh Allmark has. And quite frankly, nobody knows the answer to any either of them because none of them have played uh in a playoff series. Obviously Swayman came in in relief, but Allmark nor Swayman have playoff experience. So I guess that's kind of just going off gut instincts. But But I remember last playoffs, it was a debate that we had and then even after the season in hindsight, we had because it was like was this a mistake knowing Rask had an injury to not just try Swayman? And my dog had another opinion about that too. Yeah, no, it, it's just a really big Swayman fan. Like. It was, uh, it was, it was, look, I mean, Tuka, Tuka wasn't 100%, right? So that was the, the biggest question at the time was, you know, first of all, that series shifted in the Islanders' favor when they made a, a switch and goal. Okay, so. In the in the moment, we were thinking to ourselves, "Well, right now the Islanders seem pretty comfortable in the series. You should maybe throw a curveball at them and just kind of th- throw them off their their game a little bit." And the question was, 
you know, what would you rather? Rask get like whatever, an arbitrary percentage of like 60, 70, 80% or, or Swayman at 100. And, but that, yeah, I think, but as it pertains to this year, um, up until a few weeks ago, I was, on, you know, I, I thought that Jeremy Swayman could have been an asset at the deadline. Um, obviously now I don't feel that way because Tuka's retired, so that's just off the table. And, you know, I don't think they're going to move Lysel. I'm just being realistic. I don't think they will. So as a, so for this year, guys, I think if I'm Don Sweeney, and I think this might be real. I think this might be what he's thinking. Um, I think he's probably willing to maybe uh, offer a package centered around Lorai, a first-round pick, um, and like a Stanika or an, or or, or a second-round pick or something. I think the starting. I think Don Sweeney is willing to move Lorai in a first to try to to try to get an impact player um, because I don't think Swayman should be on the table anymore, um, and I don't think they'll move Lysel. So. Uh, just the I never thought Swayman should be on the table. Just like I, I think yeah. I said that before. I, I just always just ha- like you just from his sample that we saw even before he got moved down to Providence. Like there was so much promise with him that I think that I don't think they really considered it. Um, I think they knew that it was going to be an extreme experiment with Tuca. So I don't think that he was. I mean, like sure, bring Tuca in. Maybe you get a little bit out of him, but don't. Um, send somebody that you stole in the draft and has already been proven that like he could be an NHL goalie and and he's on a cheap contract right now. I don't think that that would have been a smart move, even if Tuca was still hanging, hanging around. Uh, And I get into arguments with people still, even today, Brian, Nick texted me. uh, He's one of the producers at the station. He texted me, well, how stupid does Sweeney look that he that he sent Swayman down and Tuca lost him three games and they could have had three more wins, but like at the end of the day, those three wins, like it's kind of whatever. And then we now see that it didn't hurt Swayman's development to send them down. So it's like kind of a moot point at this point. What what Tuca how Tuca affected yeah. um Swayman and in, in that not, show. not if you're Spencer, not if you're Spencer yeah. calling in on well, Sunday. The um the, no, it, it's, if Swayman starts sucking at any point in his career, it's going to be brought back to remember that time they sent him down and Tuca, you know, stopped him from developing. That was the, why. I mean, but to, uh, yeah. Bridget, to your point yeah. about um, kind of, like, you know, found gold on the draft with Swayman, I think that's also a reason why it's going to be tough for them to move Lorai, Brian, is, you know, yes, wow. he has really increased his value, but also, like, I know, I know some people who think Laurie's going to be one and done at Ohio State, and he's going to sign after the season, and that puts him in the running to like potentially make the team next year. You know, he might need some time in the AHL, but they might be looking at Mason Laurie as like a guy who can play in the NHL at some point next season. And if they are, then that becomes, you know, it's it's easier to like it's almost easier to. I don't want to say it's easy to trade a Lysel, but it's, it's almost easier to trade a guy who like, might still be a couple years away. Whereas, like, with if you're starting to look at Lorai as, like, is he in our plans for next year? Like, it starts to become tougher to mm-hmm. to trade him. I, I'm not saying he should be untouchable. If if it's the right deal and that's what you have to do, then, okay, then okay like, I'm for it. And, yeah, as we've covered many times, like, if you're gonna get if you're gonna get a real impact play, you're gonna have to give up someone. I, but 
What I would say is I don't think I would I wouldn't trade Mason Lori for a rental. I wouldn't do that. No. I wouldn't jeopardize that. No. But someone with term or someone that you know you talk to ahead of time and you think you, you're gonna have a really good chance of re-signing. Okay, yeah, like then he's at least on the table. But I think I think they're really high on him and I think there's a there's a lot of people who are now really high on Mason Lori. Well my my prerequisite when having these conversations and I should probably say it more often because people might not know but I mean none of the, I'm not doing any I'm not moving any of these guys for a rental um it would have to be somebody with term um and I didn't know that that he could possibly be on the roster next year that's that that does you know make it dif- more difficult I guess um if I had a crystal ball or if Patrice just called me up and told me um, if I know that Bergeron's coming back next year, it it, it, it makes it a little bit different. I, I'd be a little bit more willing to go into the postseason this year, adding a couple of smaller pieces to surround your, like I said a few minutes ago, really good core that you do have. And, you know, maybe you can catch that catch some fire. If Bergeron really is done after this year, um, it does, it does, it does make me want to make get you know it does make me a little bit more um inclined to kind of do what it takes to give it, give it a last run cuz i really do think if Bergeron goes you're going to have some struggles for a couple of years at the bare minimum no matter no matter what prospects you have coming and you have no chance to win uh the ultimate prize in those years so um you, 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 by the you, way scott sorry brian if you want to finish i have no no go for it i was just i was just going to say you, you can't you can't you can't significantly impact this team um without giving something the value so if everybody's trying to protect everything then then fine but you're not going to be able to get that ultimate prize yes Bridget this is Scott's chance to respond to something uh something uh Andrew Raycroft said after he left which was just in response to the Mike Milbury like rebuild uh solution of trading Marshawn there are actually better options if you're rebuilding than trading Brad Marchand. Uh, and they brought up maybe Brandon Carlo being someone that could be more valuable in a rebuild. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, Scott. Um, He's not yeah, I mean, it, 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 Carlo needs to finish this season strong. Like, I, I don't think he's going to recoup his value enough before this trade deadline, but but they're not. I mean, like maybe. Point, but we're talking like yeah, next year. in the off season or next year or whatever. Yeah, I do think as long as Carlos coming off like a good finish to the season, he has value because that's he is a player that like a lot of teams would like to have. Now, you might get some different opinions on his contract going forward. Like th- there might be some teams that look at that contract and think, Nah, you know, we'd rather look for other options, commit to our own guys, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, Carlo would have some value for sure. They're like, there's a reason that his name's come up in, you know, before this extension, but there's a reason that his name has come up in trade rooms before, because he, he was valued by other teams. Uh, so sure. But, you know, the, the thing about Marshand is like, if you were really going full rebuild where it's like, all right, we're tearing it down. We're going to try to get the pieces who help us win in McAvoy and Postonok's prime in a couple of years, like Marshand, even at his age would still get you the most. Like he's still going to, I don't care what the age difference is. He's still getting you more than Carlos. So th- the reason Marshand comes up in that discussion is uh, 
you know, is just because you could get a ton for him. Like it would be one of the, it would be one of the biggest trades in recent memory if Marshan got traded. So in theory, you would get an enormous haul. Um, that said, I think there's also value in keeping Marshan around, not just to try to compete and to still try to have a good team, but also to be your next captain to kind of set the tone and help, you know, help develop the next wave of leaders for after he, whether it's retires or maybe gets traded later in his career to try to make one last run. But, you know, like Charlie McAvoy, I think is still, we talked about this a little bit on Sunday skate, but like Charlie McAvoy is still kind of learning how to lead. I don't, I don't think it's, it's not really something he's done at other levels. I don't really think it comes naturally to him. I think he's just now starting to kind of figure out that like he's in that role where he is a team leader by default because of how good he is and how many minutes he plays. And he's starting to understand like, okay, here's what also comes with that in terms of what I do off the ice and what I say to people and, you know, how much I'm communicating. Like that's all stuff that's still going to take some time for, to grow into McAvoy, who I think, you know, probably makes like the most sense if you're looking long-term, like who could be your captain five, 10 years from now. Like you would love it if it's McAvoy, but he starts to grow into that. Um, you know, so, so like there's, there'd be value in having Marchand around even in the post Bergeron world to still be that leader. And like that guy who continues to kind of carry, you know, this culture into the next generation. Um. One other thing, too, and th- this is – I'm just reading this list. I'm just – obviously, some of these names wouldn't be realistic. But, um, again, if if Bergeron uh, comes back for another year um, or two, and the Bruins know that, and that makes their, their deadline um, philosophy this year more like what Scott was saying, a couple of smaller pieces, here are some UFA centers um, this offseason that, like, if – Bergeron comes back, maybe you can try to get one of these guys to go on like one final run with Bergeron or for, for a year or two. Just going to name a few names. This one obviously would never happen. Uh, Evgeny Malkin, I would imagine, would resign in Pittsburgh. Claude Giroux. I, I've heard that no matter who he goes to at the deadline, he might want to go back to Philly afterwards. I don't know why he would do that, um, <laughs> but okay. Claude Giroux's a name. Well, he's just such a great place to live. Well, no, because he's such a team well, guy, so they were saying, like, okay, they'll send him to go, to go win a cup, and he'll allow them to get the return for him, and then he'll just re-sign with them. I mean, okay, fine. Um, but So there was Claude Giroux. There is Joe Pavelski. Um, Philip Forsberg in Nashville is a very interesting one. He'll make bank, I would imagine, but... That's a that's a young stud center. Um, well, is is he playing center? I, I know he's generally played more wing. Uh, well, it has him listed as a, as a center, um, but I'm mm-hmm. sure he's probably versatile. Uh, Thomas Hurdle's another name. Um, so you know, uh, Vinny Trocheck, Kadri. So if they know Bergeron's coming back, I guess. Can you imagine Nazem Kadri and Brad Marchand on the same team? <laughs> <laughs> just gonna, yeah, just which, gonna go get Tom Wilson to complete the tree. Kadri, Kad, yeah, yeah. The sad thing is that'd be like a great team. Like that, that well, theoretically, oh my god, I mean, Nazem Kadri would be incredible great. on this team. He's but. very good, very good player. He's he's he lead, as you want to talk about how good he is. I mean, he's leading the Colorado Avalanche in points by quite a bit, and they're stacked. So back uh, in line center. 
so so look, guys, if like if if Bergeron comes back and the Bruins know this, then they can also I'd have to see what the cap situation would be and, and what these guys would probably go for, but these are guys you could pay for as opposed to giving up the assets for, and you can get you can, and you can get a whole year of a run at least with Bergeron and and whomever. So I guess it just depends on really what Bergeron's doing. I'm sure he's communicating with Sweeney, obviously, but he might just not truly know what he wants to do yet. So uh, I guess I guess the way that they approach the deadline will probably tell us a lot about what we, what the future holds for Bergeron. Because I think if if they if they go all in and give up you know some of these assets and, and first round picks and get that big guy. I'm more inclined to think this could be a final run. If they're more conservative, they might know they have a couple, another year or two to win. Yeah. By the way, just that while we're doing doing rumors, a couple other centers to keep an eye on if they become available. So Winnipeg has not really been able to force their way into the playoff pitch. Like that, they're not far enough out that they're going to be selling just yet. But I could easily see them selling and. Paul Stastny is an unrestricted free agent after the season. He's a player I've always liked. He's having an, he's 35 or 36, but he's having another strong year. Again, like that, that doesn't help you long-term at center, but it certainly gives you a number two center now. Um, and if Anaheim starts to fall out right now, I think they're just outside the playoff picture, but you know, there's talk about them potentially training Hampus Lindholm because he's unrestricted and it sounds like they're not getting anywhere in negotiations. Like, if they fall out and start selling, is Ryan Getzlaff available? You know, again, another older guy, but one who I still like. And, well, I don't think he's, like, ideally a second-line center at this point. I think if you have him between Hall and Pasternak, he he works there. Um, so that'd be another one to keep an eye on. I know like, he resigned with Anaheim mostly because he just likes the area and didn't want to move. But – for half a season, you know, rent yourself a nice hotel suite and, and you know, come try to win a cup in Boston. Uh, I could I could see that. Like, I could see him being available. So just a couple of names to throw out there. Yeah, they're just – they're still too close to this wild yeah. They They are only a point out of it right now – or two points out of it right now. Well, I don't know um... – Another name on the Jets that I, I ironically saw today, and I, it was on Twitter. I, I don't know who I saw it from or whatever, but also that it might not be all sunshine and paradise with Mark Shifley in Winnipeg um, if things don't go well for them um, this year and if they miss the playoffs. I don't know what his contract status is, and uh, I, I'm i like, I would Shif- be so Shifley has two years left after this at $6.125 million. Which is not insane for a player that good. Yeah. So, like, if they're out of it, I, I, again, I saw it on Twitter. Um, I think it was like a, I think it was pushed through the algorithm because I think it was somebody verified who was doing it because um, it just popped up in my timeline. I don't follow the person, but I saw that he might not be too thrilled with Winnipeg. Um, and, and Winnipeg is uh, seven points out of a wild card spot right now. Yeah. So, no, but, but again, he has two years left in his deal. So, um, there's no pressure for Winnipeg to yeah. trade him at all. The, Winnipeg also has Andrew Cobb, who's going to be an unrestricted free agent, who I, I don't think is – I'm not sure I like him as a number two center. He plays – I think he plays like all three forward positions, so there's versatility there. But he's probably more a third liner, so I don't – you know, that that to me would be like kind of like 
plan D maybe, yeah. you know, but another guy who's probably available. Well, the good news is, guys, we still have another month to talk about this shit. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually can't wait until it comes and goes because whether it's a good deadline or a shitty one, I just want to know what this roster looks like. Like I said before, you can finally, finally, finally judge a team's ceiling after the trade deadline. Um, before that, you know, it's, I mean, I mean, obviously if, if you're Colorado, you can judge your ceiling. But I, I'm talking about if you're one of these teams like the Bruins where they can go one of two ways. They could either enter the playoffs as a non-serious, you know, opening round threat um, or if they're going to, if they can go on a deep run. That's what it comes down to. Because if this team goes into the playoffs as they currently are, you know, chances are, barring a miracle, best case, they find a way to win a round. Um, but their ceiling could be much higher depending on what they what they do. Um, was there anything else you guys have before we before we uh, part ways? Uh, no, I think we either didn't mention or barely touched on, but Brad Marchand's now back. Right, he'll be he'll be back in the lineup next game. So six games yeah, by kind of quick a little bit. Yeah, and that that kind of yeah that prompted like our discussion, but about uh, lines. Yeah, I mean, they, look, they got three wins in the six games without him. So, I think the, that game on the game Monday against Colorado, like, really was going to swing so much about how you felt about like how they did without him. Because yet, you, you had you know some bad losses to the Rangers and Islanders in there. Your two wins were against the Senators, where it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. But like now, you get that one against Colorado, you get three wins without him, and it's like, all right, like now you've got some momentum. Yeah, and Marchand back as he head out on the road, and you know, you and they got good. a point in the in the shootout loss to the yeah. to the Rangers, so they yeah. they did better than you know half of what the points that that, yeah. that were available to them, which is good, which is good. Um, one other note from the game, I, I just it just um popped into my mind. Did you guys see Nathan McKinnon hack the ref? Oh yeah, but the that was I'm interested to see if like anything comes from because like. I feel like his obvious defense is going to be like I was trying to slash Tomas Nosek and just missed. The video is so man, obvious. Like, he missed by a lot. If that was, like I think he was clearly going. Like he, it looks like he just lost his mind. Like hit slash the ref. Well, he puts which, his, he puts his hand up before he does it. Like he loses the face yeah. off. Doesn't like the way it was dropped. Nosek skates away out of range. Then McKinnon puts the hand up, and then he hacks him. Uh, it'll be that's what he'll say, Scott. But it, there's no chance anybody buys that. The question is if anybody will actually come down on him. There's a there's a very similar play somebody posted on Twitter that of uh, I forget who it was, but somebody in NHL got 10 game suspension for that. They they don't fuck around with abusive officials. Yeah, no, they don't. But I also wonder if the name, uh, you know, and the and the star power determines whether or not they look the other way on it just altogether. I mean. By the way, speaking of abusive officials, that South Shore Kings player who just got banned for life for punching the ref, and just just stop abusing officials. Like they're they're people. Don't don't go hitting them. Oh, remember the Dennis Weidman play where he? I swear he got a concussion. Yeah, yeah but then he didn't know where he was or who he was going after. But he he oh, got he a forty game suspension for just going right after the ref. I think just completely confused. Uh, but they took that one real seriously. He was out for half a season. Hey, if nobody abused the ref after the Noel Achari trip, then no ref should ever be abused. Because that was the one. That was the one play where I was like, "Palsy, I want to meet you outside right now, <laughs> right now." Um, yeah, no, that was crazy. Uh, look, obviously, I don't. 
on one hand, I want them to suspend McKinnon because it's like bullshit if you just like don't if you don't treat players fairly. But at the same and time, also, I don't McKinnon... want to see McKinnon suspended because he's way too good of a player. Well, uh, he, I feel like McKinnon could use a suspension right now because he also had a shitty hit against Vegas. Oh yeah, he did last week where he. I forget who's the Vegas player. Why am I blanking? It was this, uh, but, it was Nolan, Nolan Patrick. Yeah, right. Who has a history of head issues, by the way. But yeah, he like clear interference late, like stepped up on him and looked like he got shoulder to the head. Nothing. No hearing with player safety. No anything. By the way, did I meant to look this up? Did Yanni Gord ha- get a, a hearing with player safety for what? For running Mark Shifley from behind? Oh, I don't know. I no, no, he didn't. Like, we don't have another half hour, so I, I shouldn't even get started on this. But Yanni Gord has now run two players from behind in the last three weeks and has not even gotten a phone call from player safety. Like, what are we doing? Two clear hits from behind. Drills Earl Vakanine from behind in the game in the garden. Knocks Vakanine out of action for two weeks. Now, possibly, that might be something related to that popping up again with him not feeling well. Uh, you know, we don't know. We'll see. But then, yeah, the other night against Winnipeg, he drills Mark Shifley from behind right into the boards. And, and I think he didn't either didn't get called or only got a two-minute minor for that, too. It's like, and again, no hearings. It's just like, our, so guess what Yanni Gord's going to do again in like another week or two? I bet you he's going to hit someone else from behind because he's now gone away with it twice. So, you know, good job, player safety. They, in in the, I don't know if you guys read the whole Martian letter, pretty, parts of it are fairly entertaining read, the ruling from Batman. It's like 14 pages. But in it, it, it talks about how they stress that, you know, punishment isn't just about that single act. It's also about deterring players from doing it in the future. Well, I guess we're not deterring Yanni Gord from running guys from behind. I guess we're not doing that. Why? Because yeah. he is—he he doesn't have a history, so we're not worried about it. Well, I mean, he, he, has a, he, he now has a history. history. Yeah, yeah, he has a history of hitting guys from behind this month. So, I just, I, I, I just thought it was—I just thought it was amusing how, um, how Bettman, uh, came down as the morality police on Martian, but just didn't say anything about the Blackhawks owner like berating everybody. Yeah, and oh yeah, and how he like excused which by the way, preface this with I was fine with Marshall getting six games. I'm fine with it being upheld. What he did was extremely stupid, and everyone knows his history. He was gonna get absolutely no leash. There was no leash. Like so I'm fine with that. But yeah, to to your point about Batman, it's like yeah, he excuses so their owner Rocky Wards has that horrible press conference where he says, we're not talking about the past. I'm not answering your question. None of your business or whatever. And Batman excuses that as just an emotional outburst. But then, you know, when Martian has an emotional outburst, like, you crack down on him. Like, you know, can we try to get, like, some priorities in order here? Like, one is, yeah, Martian doing something really stupid and punching a goalie, but that had no chance of actually hurting anyone. And the other is an owner refusing to be transparent about sexual assault. And you're saying, oh, he just had an emotional outburst. Like, Well, that's because he works for – that's because that's, that's who Bettman works for, and then Martian yeah. works for Bettman. That's what that is. Yep. So it's just total disingenuine. Um, yeah, well, 
Sorry, Scott's blood pressure's up now because of the referee. We shouldn't have even gone there. I feel bad now. Um, and because and because he wrote a story today after the Bruins game from Night Shift Brewing, you know, right down the street from the garden. <laughs> oh goodness! Just kidding. He would never do that. Hey, so yeah. some some people write some people write at you know Starbucks or Dunkins. Some write at breweries. Yeah, yeah, that sounds more like I, me. Actually, honestly, by Scott. the way, I actually have written. So I did it in this case, just to clarify. But I actually have written story, uh, a story from Lord Hobo before because we used to do, we used, like they used to be a, they might still be a WI sponsor. I don't know. But we used to do stuff with them fairly frequently uh, through the the Rob Bradford connection. And so like we would have like some events there. And one time I had, there, something came up that I had to write a story while I was sitting there. So. Hell yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's why if you, if there's more spelling mistakes on the article tomorrow, uh, just no. Yeah, Scott's a Scott's a rebel without a cause. <laughs> um, well, the well the only good news on that front is like it takes me four hours to drink an IPA. So what? I'm not. Yeah, I'm. I I'm. You know very, what we're doing now, right? You know, I'm a very slow beer drinker. You know what we're doing now? We're doing a podcast from a brewery at some point, and just gonna find me. Yeah, a, little, well, a, li- a live skate pod. There. I'll I'll rob check on Lord Hobo, see what they're up to. Rent rent out Lord Hobo, do a live skate pod, and um, be nobody there. Or maybe we could team up with Hashtag Dork. <laughs> they have their whole Idle Hands thing. Yeah, and Idle Hands is a very good brewery. So Bridget's wearing a Trillium shirt right now. Yeah, we should we should do something Homemade. for like playoffs around the playoffs. We should we should we should we should, we should utilize the perks of Weei being a credentialed media outlet and maybe do something on the garden or something i don't know who knows yeah who knows we'll figure it out scott scott he'll figure it out he's he's buddies with everyone over there yeah i know scott's a big schmoozer mm-hmm. shaking hands kissing babies real politician that's why we have him that's why we keep him around like scott <laughs> scott's scott's like a um if i had to describe scott he is what, what's 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 the occupation where you like you 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 rub shoulders with politicians and you uh, he's a Scott's Scott's our lobbyist, he's a lobbyist for us. Um, on that note, something I, I never want to be in in actual real life. No, if I ever if I ever end up as a lobbyist to a politician, someone just shoot me. He he just looked at you, Brian. Like that was the biggest <laughs> insult you could have. Why lobbyists? They get they get shit done. They, they 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 read between the lines. They find they find ways. They they set the country back twenty years. Yeah, they ruin That's our entire Scott. political system. That's yeah. Scott. I he he well, has already set this country don't, back. Don't blame don't Scott. Don't shoot the messenger. You don't blame me for your for the shit that you do. I'm just letting you know. All right. Uh, so they got how many games this weekend? They got Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So maybe we'll record Monday. Maybe if they're not playing Monday. Well, I think they play. Is it Monday and Tuesday night? They play Monday and Tuesday. Yeah. So Thursday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday. But I don't know. I mean, we like do something in the afternoon because those are all late games anyways. So True. the whole schedule is going to be thrown off. Very. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, the Olympics got us. They got us prepared for this. Which what the, the annoying part is now that here's the here's the part that's like underrated. Now that you have Vegas and Seattle. Now you need to do two West Coast trips a year. It used to just be one. 
used to go and visit Anaheim, LA, and San Jose. Maybe hit Dallas and Colorado and Phoenix on the way home. But like now, now it's like split up into two different West Coast road trips because there's already one earlier this year, right? When they yeah. played uh, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton. Uh, yeah, actually that's true. So there was always well, there was always that's actually there's kind of been three because then there was also Colorado, Arizona, that's Dallas what, recently. That's the one I was thinking of. Like they, yeah. I feel like they used to do that one with the with the California teams, but now there's too many. Yeah, because yeah, there's always been the California trip and then the Pacific Northwest trip. Those were always separate, for the most part. But anywho, um, I think that wraps up episode eighty-two. Happy fortieth, guys. You too. Yeah, same. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something, Scott. Nope. <laughs> I hope we leave that whole part in. <laughs> oh, no, you're going to have to cut it out of that. All right, thanks for listening. Holy <laughs> shit, Scotty. <laughs> <laughs>